Well, good afternoon. It is Resurrection Sunday. Again, I want to hear it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Indeed, in truth, in fact, in history, he is risen. He is risen indeed. My name is uh, Tim Shorey. For those that don't know me, one of the pastors here, it's my privilege to open God's Word to us on this Resurrection Day. Our, our name as a church, as you already know, is Risen Hope Church. Uh, we chose that name for a reason. We wanted to let people know right up front, and we wanted to remind ourselves week after week that there is hope. No matter what, no matter how bad life gets, no matter how bad you are, there is hope. And it is risen hope. It is hope that is rooted in, based upon, guaranteed by a person who is risen, who is alive, who is hope itself, whose name is Jesus. We, we wanted our name to communicate who and what is needed in our world today. We need hope. Peter is writing this letter, 1 Peter, to a group of people that were suffering. They were in a season of darkness. They were going through a furnace of affliction. Theirs was a dark and a despairing world, and he wants to communicate hope to them. What he says to them and what I believe God has for us this morning is simply this. We need to believe, live, and share a risen hope in Jesus Christ. We need to believe, we need to live, and we need to share a risen hope in Jesus Christ. My, my message is going to be simple. There are four headings the promises of our hope, and then the price of our hope, and then the proof of our hope, and then the preservation of our hope. The promises, the price, the proof, the preservation of our hope. Let's, let's begin with the promises of our hope. With your Bibles still open, I hope, to 1 Peter chapter 1. In verses 3 and 4, we read these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Christian hope is a glorious hope. It is a living hope. And in this text, we learn that this hope involves two promises. We have an everlasting inheritance, and we have an undeserved honor. An everlasting inheritance and an undeserved honor. Peter says to us, we have received or we have a hope for an inheritance. We have a possession, a great treasure, a, a, a vast inheritance awaiting us. We who believe in Jesus are coming into an inheritance. 
There is an inheritance waiting for us that Peter says is imperishable. That means it's incorruptible. It isn't subject to decay. It isn't subject to rot. It isn't subject to spoilage or ruin. He calls it a living hope. We have a living hope. It is an everlasting hope. It will never end. It will never perish. Peter says it's an undefiled inheritance. That means it isn't soiled. It isn't polluted. It cannot be stained. Sin can't defile it. Age can't defile it. Pollution can't defile it. Dirt can't stain it. This is an inheritance that will go on pure and beautiful forever. And then Peter adds, it is an unfading inheritance. That is, it it is always radiant. It is ever-glorious. It is ever-shining, ever-resplendent, ever-beautiful, ever-full of wonder. It will never diminish. It will never fade. Peter says, that's what is awaiting us, an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Now, what is this inheritance of which he speaks? Well, the Bible makes it clear that for the Christian, there is an inheritance of a new body in a new home. A new body in a new home. A glorious body, a resurrected body, a perfected body, a body that will be as glorious as the body that Jesus himself has in heaven. This is our destiny. This is our inheritance. A new body in a new home. In Second Peter, he writes, according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are waiting, as Christians, we are waiting for the day when this old earth, this broken earth, this world full of injustice, this world full of of unrighteousness, this world full of sin, this world full of bigotry, this world full of hatred, this world full of evil will be no more, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where Jesus is king, and he rules in righteousness, and he reigns in glory, and he rules in justice, and he reigns in power, and he reigns in peace, and he reigns in love. We will have a new body in a new home. This, this is our inheritance. This is our everlasting inheritance. But we also, Peter goes on to say, make sure you hear this because it's mind-boggling, We also are going to receive an undeserved honor. An undeserved honor. Look at verses 6 and 7. In this, in this inheritance, you rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire may be found, what may be found? Your tested and proven faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is enough to take your breath away. Normally, when we think about praise and glory and honor, we think about what is given to God. 
what we give to God. But that's not what Peter's writing about here. Peter here is writing about a praise and an honor and a glory that God is going to give to us for having a faith that has gone through the furnace, has endured, has come through, and he is going to praise us. He is going to honor us. He is going to glorify us. So we read in chapter 5 and verse 6, Peter says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty of God, hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I understand me exalting him. I don't get him exalting me. I don't understand how it could be that the one who is infinitely worthy of being exalted would exalt me who is totally unworthy of being exalted. And yet this is the promise. So we read in verse 4 of chapter 5 that those who are faithful of them, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You'll receive a crown of glory. Second Timothy 4, Paul writes, Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on that day. And not only to me, Paul says, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love Jesus? Do you long for Jesus? Are you loving the thought of the appearance of Jesus, the revealing of Jesus? If you do, there is a crown waiting for you. The inheritance that we receive is an everlasting possession of all that God has in the new heavens and the new earth and an undeserved honor where God says to us, undeserved as we are, well done, good and faithful servants. When God looks at our lives and the things that we have done, however weak, however feeble, however imperfect, however flawed, the things we have done in faith, out of love to Christ. And he says, you have done well. I have something for you. I have something for you. And he reaches and he takes a crown and he places it on your head. My my imagination starts going wild here. And all the crowds of heaven and all the angels and all the saints break into applause forever and ever. We're just going to be just celebrating His glory and the glory that He gives to us. And there will be this unending inheritance of riches and wealth and honor and glory and blessing that we receive. This is what's in store for us. These are the promises of our inheritance. But what is the price? What is the price for this inheritance? We read about it in chapter 1 in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed, Peter writes. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest 
in the last times, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Why do we have faith and hope in God? Why do we know there is this great inheritance awaiting us? It is because we have been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's because Good Friday happened. Because the cross happened. Because blood was spilt. Jesus ransomed us. He paid it all as we have sung. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. All the punishment. All the judgment that was our due for our sin. Jesus paid it all. I was talking with actually my son Joel who's getting ready along with others to plant a church in Newark, Delaware next year. Um, and he was talking about different names that they've been thinking about for, for their new church. And they've been testing out some of these names on uh, people they meet on the street. And one of the names had the word redemption in it. And they had more than one person say, no, no, you want, don't want to go with that word because that implies that there's something wrong with people. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Look in the mirror, you can see it. Look in your heart, you can see it. You're in denial if you think you don't need redemption. You're in denial if you don't think you need a redeemer. You're in denial if you think that you were good and good enough to make it to heaven on your own. You are denying the reality of what's in your heart and in your mind and has been in your life and in mine. We need a Redeemer. We need redemption. Jesus paid it all. This inheritance that we have... Friends, this inheritance, while it is free to us when we come to faith in Christ, was costly to someone else. Before we can have this inheritance, before we can receive this inheritance, our debt has to be paid. You can't have the inher inheritance without getting rid of the debt. But the debt can only be gotten rid of by another. You can't do it unless you go to hell forever. But there is another who has come Christmas. There is another who was born, who lived among us, who lived a perfect life, who lived a blameless life, who never sinned, who did not deserve to die, who deserved glory, but instead took on shame and he came and he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that through the punishment inflicted on him, there could be peace given to us so that the debt we owed was paid by Him so that an inheritance we don't deserve may be received by us. The promise of this hope and an everlasting inheritance and undeserved reward, the price for this hope, nothing less than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about the proof of this hope? Look at chapter 1 and verse 3 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. In verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What is the proof of our inheritance? What proof do we have that when we are done with this life, we're going to enter into an inheritance forever? The proof is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The proof is in the fact that he who died for our sins was raised again by God and given glory by the Father so that all who are in Christ can be raised and share in that glory. The resurrection is the proof of our inheritance. Now, if it's going to prove our inheritance, then the resurrection needs to be proven There's not a whole lot of hope based on something that isn't real. If Jesus really isn't raised from the dead, then as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we're of all people most to be pitied. There's no point in trusting in Jesus if he's still dead. So how do we know he's alive? Well, we could spend the next 10 weeks going through the evidences and the proofs for the resurrection. I was trying to think this week, how do I, how do I summarize this in a way that's, that doesn't overwhelm people with, with information and ideas? Here's, here's what came to me. Four, four lines. Grave unoccupied. Many testified. Cost intensified. And power multiplied. So here here are four evidences for the resurrection. Grave unoccupied. On the third day, as predicted, the grave was empty. Even though the rulers of that day did everything in their power to keep Jesus in that grave. You remember they posted guards around the tomb. They put a seal on the tomb, making it a crime for anyone to break it and break into that tomb. They did everything they could to keep him in the grave, but on the third day, it was empty. And the angel said, he is not here. Friends, that may well be the most important news announcement of all time. He is not here. He is He just isn't here. He is not here. The tomb is empty. Despite all the efforts of all of his enemies, the grave was unoccupied. Grave unoccupied. Many testified. The Bible is full of witnesses of the resurrection. The Bible tells us that there were hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And and these people included both the unbelieving and the unlikely. The unbelieving, people like Paul who hated Jesus and hated Christians and hated the church, had a vision of the risen Christ. Even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. And even the disciples, let's face it, they weren't exactly a band of loyal and faithful and believing people. They were a mess What was it that brought them to faith? What was it that brought them to hope? What was it that brought them to courage? It was they saw Jesus. There were many who testified, and there were the unlikely among them. Who were the first witnesses to the resurrection? 
two or three women. No offense, women. But in the Roman Empire days, women were considered weak in the brain, strong in the imagination. All right? That's, that's how they... So much so that a woman's testimony was not accepted in court. And yet, in the Scriptures, we find out that the records of the resurrection indicate the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, if you're making up a hoax in that time, in that place, in that culture, you're not going to say, hey, let's make the first witnesses women, witnesses that nobody trusts. But you see, the fact of the matter is that the writers of Scripture were not creating a hoax. They weren't faking it. They weren't making believe. They had seen the risen Christ, and they reported the facts as they were as they are. Grave unoccupied. Many testified. Cost intensified. What do I mean by that? There was a price attached to testifying to faith. These who bore witness of having seen Christ, many of them died for that. Peter, who wrote these words, Peter who said, I, I saw Jesus alive. I saw him alive more than once after he was dead. I saw him. Peter would go on to be crucified upside down for that faith in Christ. I ask you, would someone knowingly and willingly die for something he knew to be false? You know, many of us are willing to live and die for things we believe to be true. But I don't think there's anyone in this room who'd be willing to die for something he knew to be false. If Jesus was not raised, then why was Peter and why were all the other apostles and why were the early Christians so willing to suffer, pay such a great cost? Uh, they were willing to face that cost intensified because it was the truth. Jesus was and is alive. The grave unoccupied, many testified, cost intensified, power multiplied. From that moment on, from the moment of the resurrection on, to this very hour, in this very place, the power of the risen Christ has been demonstrated in life after life after life after life. In this room, hundreds of people who once were dead in sin, once headed for hell, once enslaved to all kinds of evil things, once lost, once in despair, now in hope, now transformed, now living new lives, now going in a new direction because the power of the risen Christ has been unleashed. This is the truth. This is evidence. And it's the world over, all over the world, right now, right now, all over the world, millions of people have been transformed. Not through threat and coercion and sword, believe in Jesus or die. But through a simple message, God loves you. God came into the world to die for you. God paid the debt for your sin. God rose from the dead in the person of Jesus Christ. Believe in Him and you'll be born again to a living hope. And people by the millions have believed and have been transformed. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Because He is 
risen, grave unoccupied, many testified, cost intensified, power multiplied. And then I guess we could add, so hope is verified. There is a reason for our hope. There is proof for our hope. That proof is in the risen Jesus Christ, which leads to the preservation of our hope. To the preservation of our hope. I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough and I've lost enough things through the years to realize that if something isn't preserved, it's hardly worth having. We just lose stuff all the time. But here is a hope that will not be lost. You say, how, Tim, Tim, how do you know that? Why do you say that? Well, because Peter tells us two things. Peter tells us that God is keeping heaven for us, and he is keeping us for heaven. He is keeping heaven for us, and he is keeping us for heaven. Look at the text. Look at verse 4. Then born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The word means guarded, protected, watched over, defended. This inheritance is kept for us. Kept in heaven for you, Peter writes, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Isn't this this incredible? Peter says, this inheritance that you have is being kept in heaven for you. You who are being guarded, you who are being protected, you who are being preserved by the power of God for it. So heaven is being kept for us. We are being kept for heaven. God is guarding our inheritance. God is guarding us. Us. This is why our hope as Christians is a sure hope. This is why our hope as Christians is different than the hope of anyone else in the world. This is different from your common, ordinary, run-of-the-mill hope. This is certainty. Christian hope is not an if thing. It is a when thing. Christian hope is not a maybe. It is a shall be. Christian hope is not a wish, it is a promise. It is not a wish, it is a guarantee. We, we do not say as Christians, if Jesus returns, then this will happen. We say, when Jesus returns, this will happen. We do not sing, if he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found. We sing, when he shall come with trumpet sound. We don't sing if Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. We sing when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. We do not sing and Lord haste the day when our faith might be sight. We sing and Lord haste the day when our faith shall be sight. We do not sing if I stand in that place free at last face to face, we sing, when I stand, when I stand in that place, free at last, face to face. We know 
that we know, that we know, that we know. This hope is sure because Jesus is risen and reigning and because Jesus is keeping heaven for us and he is keeping us for heaven. And so, how do we live? Can I leave you with three simple questions? Question number one, will you believe in hope? Simple question, will you believe in hope? We live in a world full of despair. Even though our world here in this country, in this land, is a world richer and more prosperous and full of ease and and wealth than anywhere else in the world, we have as much despair as everyone else all, all over the world. It's a world of despair. And often we despair of hope. Often we think it's hopeless. The question is, will you believe in hope? Another way of saying that is, will you believe in the one who is hope? Will you you believe? Will you renounce despair? Will you renounce your doubt and your fear? And will you believe that Jesus really did come and he really did die and he really does love you and he really was raised from the dead and he really is alive today and he really is sitting on a throne in heaven and he really is coming back and he really is going to make all things new? Will you believe in hope? Will you believe in Jesus? Please believe in Christ. You can... Come in here this morning in despair and you can leave in hope. It's it's just like that. You can have that transformation. Come in in despair. Go out in hope. Go out in hope because you're going out trusting in Jesus, the risen Savior. Will you believe in hope? Second question, will you live in hope? Will you live in hope? You see, there's a difference, isn't there, from having a hope that we we cling to at times and having a hope that is the, the heart and soul of our life. We live in hope. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully, completely, on the grace that is coming in Jesus Christ. When He is revealed, grace and glory are coming. And Peter says, live in that hope. Set your hope on that. Jesus is going to be revealed. He's coming in great power and in great glory. He is going to be revealed and He's going to vindicate us and He's going to right every wrong that's ever been done. He is coming in great glory and He's going to be revealed to exalt us in due time. He is going to be revealed to make everything new. He is going to be revealed to crown us with glory and honor. He's going to be revealed to give us immortal, glorious bodies like His. He's going to be revealed to perfect us so that we never sin again. He's going to be revealed to present us to himself as a spotless bride. He's going to be revealed to establish justice and righteousness everywhere. He's going to be revealed as our son, as our shield, as our security forever. Will you live in hope? No matter what's going on, will you live in hope? No matter how bad it gets in your life, no matter how hard it is, will you live in hope? Because Jesus lives. Jesus lives and Jesus reigns. 
And Jesus is coming. And Jesus is going to make it all all right at the end of it all. Will you live in hope? And finally, will you share this hope? Will you share this hope? Over in chapter 3, in verse 14, Peter writes, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, the reason, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Will you share the hope? Will you share this hope that you have, dear Christian friend, here this morning? Believe the hope. Live the hope. Share the hope. What your neighbors need is to know that there is hope. What your neighbors need is to see in you a person who, despite whatever's going on in your life, you still have your eyes lifted and your heart alive. What your neighbors need to see is that despite the craziness of this world, despite wars and rumors of wars, despite injustice, despite all the ugliness and the uncertainty of our times, there is hope and you have it. And you have it. Everywhere we go, we need to leave some hope behind. So much so, Peter says, that they begin to ask us, What's the reason for your hope? Where does that hope come from? I don't see that anywhere else in this world. Why do you have such hope? Why do you have such joy? Why do you still keep your head up? Why do you still expect better things? And you can give a reason for your hope. What's that reason? Christ came into the world and paid off my debt. After three days, Christ was raised from the dead and proven to be alive with many proofs. And he is now in heaven, ruling and reigning as king forever. And he'll reign there until all of his enemies are his footstool, until all of his purposes are complete. And then he's coming back. He's coming back for all of us who believe this world is not the end. This world is just a transition to the one that really matters. That he's preparing for us. This old world is going to be burned up and disposed of in a new world in its place, full of beauty and glory. That's my home. That's my country. And he's my king. And you can have this hope too. Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you? This resurrection day, as we, as we look into this coming year, as we as we come out of Easter Sunday with a a fresh, awestruck awareness that Jesus is alive, let's leave and let's go out into the world with fresh hope. Let's, Let's go out there with powerful hope that cannot be quenched. So much of it that more and more our co-workers 
and our neighbors and our friends and our families will ask why. And then tell them about Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he is, we have been born again to a living, risen hope. Oh, let's live in the good of it. Let's pray. Our Father, as we close in song and worship, may it be that these truths will move all the way down into the deepest parts of our souls. Make us a people of hope who believe it, who live it, who share it. who endure because of it. And Lord, hasten the day when the faith shall be sight and the clouds are rolled back as a scroll. Hasten the day when hope gives way to fulfillment. Come, Lord Jesus. Come soon. Come quickly come powerfully to your church, I pray. Amen.